Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Yes, Father, thank you that we can just come before you tonight, Lord, and just really give thanks, Father, for who you are, Lord. Thank you that you are the God that calls us together, Lord. And thank you, Father, that you just want to come and reveal, Father, all that you are to us, Father. And you really desire, Father, for your church, Lord, to walk in fullness, Lord, to, to really know you, Lord, and to really know to what you've called us. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here tonight working amongst your church. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are working in every heart. And thank you that we can just come and declare our dependency, Lord, that if you are not here, Father, all we do is in vain, Father. If we do not listen to your voice, Lord, if we do not obey your commands, Father, all is in vain, Father. And thank you that we can just come and say, Lord, we are dependent upon you, Lord. Jesus, it's you that builds your church. Holy Spirit, it's you that empowers your people. And we just come and say thank you, Lord, that you are present tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool, guys. Tonight we're going to speak a bit about the, the knowledge of Jesus and the, the fullness of Jesus. I didn't quite know how to phrase it. And they gave me a little blue space at the bottom. So I just put both there. Um, but we'll see tonight that growing in the knowledge of Jesus leads us more into the fullness of Jesus. If we grow to learn God more, we will grow to become more like Him and to really walk more in the fullness that God has for us. And uh, just before we kickstart, I just want to ask you some questions. You know, for us as church, as each of us sits here tonight, if I say, okay, cool, think about Jesus, you know, what is the picture that comes to mind? What is the thing that you see? You know, what attribute of Jesus stands out to you most? What quality of Jesus do you admire most? You know, what thing that Jesus did do you, do you maybe hold most dear? You know, if you can maybe just think about that for a second or two. You know, what is the thing that comes to mind? And we did this in small group on Wednesday. And we actually said, okay, cool, if you have to choose three emoticons... Or three words, you can, you can decide. Emoticons much cooler, but you can use words as well. If you need to define Jesus or describe Jesus, you know, and you have to use only three, you know, there's much more that we can use, but if you only ha you must use three. Emoticons or words, what's the ones that you would use? And then as we shared, you know, there's just a vast variety of different things coming out. And all of them true about God, but a vast variety and we also looked at, you know, the seven I am statements of Jesus. And we said that if you choose one of them, if you had to choose one, which one would stand out for you most? Which one do you admire most? Which one means the most to you? And as we also shared, you know, each one of those seven statements got picked by someone. You know, because there's just this vast variety of Jesus. And the one girl actually said, you know, when she shared about hers, she said, as I look back on my life, on the things that happened, the circumstances that I went through, these are the things about Jesus that stand out most for me. Because that is the things that I hold dear. Because that is what I went through. And as Andre also came to share, you know, he shared with us that many times our circumstances drive us deep into Christ. Many times the things that happen to us reveal something of Jesus to us. And it just reminded me of a sermon that Varys preached last year. Um, in the deeper series, speaking about going beyond barriers. And he said that mature believers do not wait for circumstances to drive them deep into Christ. They pursue God themselves. 
on their own. They really pursue God to learn more about God so that God might reveal more of himself to them. They don't wait for circumstances to drive them deep into God. You know, and many times we also, you know, we wait for those circumstances to drive us deep into Christ and to reveal certain things of Jesus to us. You know, and it's not wrong, like in the small group as well, you know, each one had their thing about Jesus that stood out for them most. And as a church, we are called to know the fullness of Jesus. We are not only called to know certain parts of him, you know, as we sang that song about he tore the veil in two, and it says he tore from top to bottom. He didn't only tear halfway so that we can get a little glimpse, but we can know God in his fullness. We can experience God for who he is. You know, he holds nothing back from us. You know, and the reason why it's so important to know Jesus in his fullness is, you know, in the Old Testament, um, God writes and he says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Not because of this or that, but because of a lack of knowledge. The enemy leads my people astray for a lack of knowledge. My people walk in halfness of life for a lack of knowledge. They never reach the fullness of what I've called them to because of a lack of knowledge. And as, and as God wants to come and reveal the full knowledge of Jesus to us, the enemy wants to come and distort that in our lives. From the beginning, you know, that's the plan of the enemy, to distort the image of God. You know, whoever God says he is, the enemy wants to come and take that away from us. He doesn't want us to walk in fullness of life. And then we read in Ephesians 4 verse 13, you know, Andre was here as well, and he put up that diagram speaking about the fullness of Jesus. You know, that of the fivefold ministry. Every aspect of it, the apostolic, the prophetic, you know, the teaching aspect, the pastoral and the evangelical. We need all of that to pertain to the fullness of Christ. We cannot only focus on a certain part. You know, as he also said, you know, certain churches mostly focus on one part or maybe two parts of that. But if we are a church to represent Jesus in the fullness of who he is, then we need to focus on all of that. But first we need to have the knowledge of that. You know, what is it like? What is Jesus like? What has he called us to? And then we read in Ephesians 4 verse 13 that it actually says that we need to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The NIV actually says the full knowledge of the Son of God to mature to manhood, to reach the fullness of Christ. So we need the knowledge of the Son of God, the full knowledge of the Son of God to grow into the fullness of Christ. And it's like God writes in 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, he also says that he desires for all people to be saved but also to come to the knowledge of the truth. Not only to meet them in heaven one day, but he wants his people now to know the truth so that they can live out that truth. And then same with, with um, 2 Peter 1 verse 3. God says that through his power he has granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own excellence and power. You know, the NIV also again says, you know, he's given us everything we need for this life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And so this knowledge is also a threefold knowledge. You know, the Greek word that they use, the gnosis, you know, it speaks about an intimate knowing. Not only information, but normally this starts with information. And that is why the pulpit also holds a central place in the church, you know, from the beginning. Because we need to speak about the things of God. You need to hear information about God. And the same when we go and read our, um, our Bibles, when we go listen to a song, it first starts with information. You know, but as we do life with God, as we take that to God, as we pray through that, that turns into revelation from God. You know, God himself reveals that to us and that always leads us to a more intimate relationship with Jesus. You know, no one grows in the revelation of God and doesn't go closer to him. You know, it doesn't work that way. Um, 
So tonight I'm just going to speak about, you know, this knowledge of God that the enemy wants to come and distort and why the enemy wants to come and distort it and why it's important for us to grow in the knowledge of God. So we're going to focus on a piece of scripture in 2 Corinthians 11 from verse 1 to 4 and then verse 3 to, um, 13 to 15. So if you can read with me on the board. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And then there's a part that just skips, but it's just Paul defending his apostolicity. And then in verse 13 again, it goes on to say, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so that no surprise if his servants also disguises themselves as servants of righteousness. The end will correspond to their deeds. And we can just stop there for a moment. I just want to quickly make this point and then we can move on. But I just want to say, you know, deception is never going to present itself in an obvious way. That is why it's called deception. You know, the enemy wants to come and distort truth. So you're not going to walk around and all of a sudden someone comes to you and say, Hello, I am the devil and I really want you to believe this lie instead of the truth about God. Will you do so? Then yes, yes, I'll do so. You know, it's not going to work that way. Or someone come, hello, I'm a, certain, I'm a servant of Satan. Even by that point, you know, you're not going to stop and listen to what he has to say. Most of us will just run. It's like, cool, I'm a servant of Satan. I please want you to as well believe this lie instead of the truth about God. And it's not, not going to work that way. It's going to come in a very deceiving way. It's not obvious. You know, disguises themselves as apostles of Christ. It's going to look like these people represent Jesus. Now the devil himself, as an angel of light, as servants of righteousness. So it's not going to be that obvious. And that is why it's imperative that we cling to the truth about who God is. Now, a guy, Blaise Pascal, he writes this quote. He says, truth is so obscure these days and lies so well established that unless we love the truth, we'll never see it. We have to love the truth. We have to seek the truth. And just to say, you know, what, what truth it is that the enemy wants to come and distort, if we can quickly go to the next slide. It says there, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the Holy Spirit, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. So if you can go to the next slide, we see here that the enemy wants to come and distort the image of God, the message of the gospel, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because these are the things that we need in our life to, to grow into the fullness of God. We need to know who He is, to what He has called us, and how we can live that life to the fullest. So that is what the enemy wants to come and distort. And right through the New Testament, we continually see this. Now Paul, Peter, and John, they continue to write defending the person of Christ, the message of the gospel, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Here and there, there's something else, you know, that's about the resurrection that's already happened or about the second coming of Christ. But mostly, it's focused on these things. And tonight, we're not going to focus on all of them. We're just going to look at the image of God, which is found in the knowledge of Jesus. 
the image of God is found in the knowledge of Jesus, you know, who he is, what he has said, what he has come to do. You know, many times the enemies even come to deceive us there, to say that God the Father and Jesus are not alike. You know, in the Old Testament, we had a very angry God, and then luckily Jesus came, and he is now our peace. And he actually, you know, he, he, he dims the, the wrath of God the Father. But it says in Hebrews 1, Hebrews 13 from verse 1 to 3, that God spoke to us in many ways, but in the last days he spoke to us through his Son, which is the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature. Exactly how God the Father is, that is what Jesus came to represent on earth. The image of, of God is found in the knowledge of Jesus. You know, what he said, what he did, and how he said and did it. And the enemy wants to come and distort that image of God. And tonight we're going to focus specifically on the image of God found in the knowledge of Jesus. And I'm going to give you three points tonight um, where the knowledge of God leads, where the knowledge of Jesus leads us. And obviously the opposite is true for when we deceive and the enemy comes and proclaims to us another Jesus. So if we can go to the next slide. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Just to speak a bit about, you know, betrothal. It speaks of someone who is formally engaged to be married. That is what that words mean. You know, we are engaged to Christ when we accept the work that he has done for us. We are now engaged to him and we are going to be married one day, formally. And just to say again, you know, when I asked the question in the beginning, you know, when you think of Jesus, what comes to mind? Who have you thought of, you know, betrothal, my, my, my wedding partner one day? Can I quickly see some hands? Did anyone have that image? You know, and it's so important to remember this image as well because a lot of times, you know, we think of Jesus as our friend, you know, and that is true. He says he, he is our friend and he's also our brother. You know, and God the Father is also our Father, but he's also our intimate. You know, the one that we are betrothed to whom we should get married one day. You know, that is the intimacy Jesus desires with, before and with us. You know, betrothed, you know, who of us here is engaged? You know, Dion, Maxine, Maria, Yelazok. And you know, there's just a moment when it comes to your engagement, you can't wait to get married. I mean, it has to come now. It just feels so long. You know, all that you can think about is the person to whom you're going to get married and that marriage day. You, you just want to wait for that. You, you just can't wait. It needs to come now. That is all that you desire. You know, it's so, it's my brother, he's, he's also my boss at work. He just said, yes, we are near. And it's not true, you can focus on work. You know, it just consumes your mind. You know, it's the only thing you think of. It is, it is your main priority. And Jesus is saying here that that is what he wants for us, but it's also the way he wants us to feel towards him. You know, in the same way we, we want to keep ourselves pure for our marriage night and for our marriage bed. That is the same desire that God has for us to keep ourselves pure. For when we get married to him and when we share intimacy with him. And, uh, you know, it's also so important, you know, to see that many times the enemy also comes, you know, and he proclaims, Jesus, you know, one that's always there for us. And it's true. But not in the fact that when I'm now alone, then I can turn to Jesus. And only then. Or when I, need, I really need help, then I'll turn to Jesus. Now, this must consume. It's only Him. You know, it's not only the one that I spend time with sometimes, but it's the one that I've placed my life to and I can't wait to spend the rest of eternity with. That is the thoughts 
we need to think about Jesus and that's the thing that the enemy wants to come and distort. He wants, us, he, he wants to keep us away from that place. And that is what Jesus is inviting each one of us to tonight. That intimate place. That longing to be with Him. Because He longs to be with us. You know, can you imagine God wants to spend the rest of eternity with us? It's such an overwhelming thought to me. With me, with you. He wants to spend the rest of eternity with us. Something I can't get over. And, you know, this is both a command and a blessing, you know, because Paul writes and says, I have betrothed you to one husband. So that means no other lovers. He doesn't say, I've given you Jesus to be your favorite. You know, there can be some, some other things that you worship or cling to, as long as Jesus is your favorite. Now he says one. Not your favorite, your only. And there's also a blessing in that because God says, I can be your only because all that you need for life and godliness is found in me. Everything you need. There will be no lack. I will give you everything you need. I will sustain all that you are. Not only will I sustain you, I'm the only one that can. Anything else will lead in emptiness. I'm the only one that can sustain you. And this is the relationship and the hope of what's to come that the enemy wants to come distort. If we can quickly go to the next verse. It says there in verse 3, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And we're quickly going to focus on that word sincere and pure. And the first being sincere, the dictionary gives the definition and it says, Sincere means free from pretense or deceit, producing from genuine feelings. You know, it's that but that uh, Marianne came to share right now. Many times I come to God because I want to get an answer. Many times I want someone to pray for me because I want to get an answer. I want something. That is the reason why I see God. So we see that the opposite of a sincere devotion is when we come with pretense. You know, God, I'm seeking you, but I'm not seeking you for who you are. I'm seeking you for what you can give me. I'm seeking you for what you can do to me. You know, and mostly this is not even the enemy that comes and deceives us here. Many times it's just of our own, our own accord. You know, like that scripture in Ephesians 4 verse 13 that says we should grow into the fullness of Christ. In verse 14 it says that we might no longer be children tossed and fro by the wings of doctrine, by human, human cunningness. So we see that it's not only the serpent that deceives and the serpent that is cunning, but it's humans as well. You know, many times we give too much credit to the enemy. Many times it's just our own selfish desires. Many times we just really want that, you know, with no deception from the enemy's side. That's just something we want to do. You know, and same with 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. It says that in the last days people will acquire teachers that suit their own needs. They will no longer listen to sound doctrine. They want to find people that preach something that they want. So if I go to a church and I hear that Jesus is Lord and Savior, not, not only does He save me, but I need to give my life to Him, but just down the road, there's another church that says, if I come to church, then God will give me a lot of things. Yeah, I'm rather going to go to that church. That Jesus seems to suit my needs much better. I don't need to give my whole life to Him. I only need to give some money to the church. And then for some miraculous way, God is going to give me more money back. It seems good. Give a hundred, get a thousand. And it seems good. And then they go after that Jesus to suit their own needs. And we actually see the New Testament just full of this. You know, Jesus feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6. And then after he fed them, Jesus makes the statement and says, I am the bread of life. You, know, Lita, you don't need to follow me for what I can give you. I am what you are seeking. 
I am what you are seeking. And he actually says to them, you don't follow me because of who I am, but because you eat yourself full of the loaves. You're only seeking me because of what I can give you. And then Jesus makes the statement. And he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And the people turned away. Okay, no longer. This Jesus is no longer the one we want to follow. No longer. We, we liked when he gave us food, but now he's demanding weird stuff of us. No. No longer. Call us when he makes bread again, but, but no longer this. And the same with the ten lepers in John 17. You know, ten lepers come to Jesus and they want healing. And then as they went away and got cleansed, one of the lepers turned back, praising God, fell at the feet of Jesus and says, Thank you, Lord. And Jesus asked, Were there not ten of you? Where is the other nine? And the truth is, only one of them seeked Jesus for who he is. The, only, the other nine only, only wanted healing from God. And we do that many times ourselves as well. It's because many times we know what Jesus can do, but we do not know who Jesus is. We know that he's the God that turns a lot of bread into much more bread, but we do not know that he is the bread of life. We know that he can give us physical healing, but we don't need that he is the one that sustains everything we are. Because we have a lack of knowledge of Christ. We don't see him in the fullness of who he is. We know what he can do, but we don't know who he is. We need to grow in that. And that takes us to point number one. The knowledge of Jesus lead to a sincere devotion to Jesus. Because if the enemy comes and says, you know, if I preach a different Jesus to you, that's not the knowledge of Jesus, that's not the fullness of Christ, and that will lead you away from a sincere devotion, then the opposite is also true. If you know the real Jesus, that will lead to a sincere devotion to him. Because, you see, this knowledge as well, you know, that's threefold. If you receive this information and you get the revelation from God, that He is the bread of life, that He is everything, that He is amazing. You know, no one receives a greater revelation of God and doesn't worship Him more. No one receives a greater revelation of God and doesn't serve Him better. It leads to a devotion of Him. Yes, maybe information that you hear but never experience yourself. Maybe you'll turn away from that, but never revelation. So if you draw near to God and ask Him, Lord, to reveal to me who you are, and He reveals that to you, that will lead to a sincere devotion to Christ. You know, and many times we have this error also in our thinking, you know, that, yes, I, I see God, but first I want to put him kind of to the test, you know. If, if he can give me something, then I know he's the true God. You know, if he can give me something, then, then I'll worship him. But the truth is, that thing we seek then, we desire more than God. That thing is then the idol in our lives. And just to illustrate this to you, Hanu, if you can maybe quickly help me. If I give this glass of water to Hanu, and let's call it, I'm thirsty, I want a glass of water, or maybe it's a, a wife, or a husband, or a job, or, or whatever it is that we seek from God. And my ordination is that I'm seeking Hanu because I heard that he has water. You know, he can give me that. And, and afterwards, if he gives me that, then, I, then I'll follow Hanu. But the truth is, I really actually only want the, the water. So the moment I come to Hanu, and he gives me the water, I have what I need. I have what I came for. I'm no longer going to seek Anu. I'm no longer going to go to him because I have what I need. I, I got what I came for. And that's the same that we do with Jesus. Thanks, Anu. I'm actually quite thirsty. Okay. And again, guys, I'm not saying that 
we should not trust God for these things. You know, like, like uh, Andre came and said, you know, God is the God of healing, and God really wants us to go for that. God really has called us to, to go out and to fulfill the apostolic mandate. He has really called us to grow more in the prophetic. But the difference is that we're not going to see God for healing. We're not going to see God for the prophetic. We're going to seek Him for who He is, and we're going to trust Him for healing. We're going to seek Him for who He is, and we're going to trust Him for the prophetic. Because anything else would be unbelief. In fact, if we do not trust God for those things, then that is unbelief. That is a lack of faith. If God reveals to me that He is the God of miracles, and I do not trust Him for miracles, then that is, that is a lack of faith on my behalf. That is unbelief on my behalf. And tonight, just to bring it home again, you know, maybe we sit here in two ways. What is it that you desire more than Jesus? Is there something that you want from God more than you see God Himself? Because if that is true, you need to just place that thing aside and see God for who He is, but still trust Him for that thing. You know, and the, the opposite is also true. If you sit here tonight and you don't trust God for anything, then we should ask ourselves, you know, do we, do we really believe God, who He is, who He says He is? You know, are we expecting God to do something great? Or are we just going through the motions? You know, what are you expecting God to do in your life? What are you trusting God for? Are you trusting Him for great miracles? Or just to go through life? Because both is true. We need to trust God. Because He is who He says He is. If He says He's the God of miracles, we should pursue that. But we should do that in the fullness of who God is. And the moment we make this choice to see God for His fullness, not only what He can give, but because of who He is, then the enemy wants to come and distort the image of Christ. If we can go to the next verse. Because the moment the enemy comes, and he can't take your eyes off of Jesus, he wants to give you another Jesus to look at. The moment he says, okay, this guy's going to follow Jesus, then I have to give him a different perception of what Jesus is really like. If this guy said he's going to seek Jesus based upon who he, who he is, then I have to let him believe that Jesus is not who he says he is. Because he's going to follow Jesus anyway. And yet says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, the same verse, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And we can quickly just focus on that word pure. It says not mixed or adulterated with any other substance or material. You know, it's the same thing that the devil comes in and, and does in the garden. He says, as the serpent deceived Eve. Now, what the devil did in the garden? Went to Eve and said, did God really say? You now, God said, he will provide for them. He will be with them. Just abide by my rules. Do not go and eat of that tree. Do not go and do that thing. And then the serpent comes and says, you know, did God really say? Now, is God really to be trusted? And the same thing he does today. He comes and tells us, you know, did God really say? Can God really? Will God really? Is he really? Because God comes and proclaims to us that I'm everything you need. And the, the serpent comes and whispers, can God really give you everything you need? Because if you cannot, if we decide that Jesus will be our only, he wants to come and bring that thing back. No, let, let Jesus be your favorite. You know, let him be your favorite, but he can't be your only. Certainly there must be other things that can fulfill you as well. Certainly there must be other things that sustain you as well. You know, it's like the perception that many people have that when you come to Christ, oh, your liver is no boring. Now your life sucks. Now you can do nothing worthwhile. And the definition of sin is anything fun. 
And then we know that it's just totally wrong because God desires for us to live in the fullness of who He is and to enjoy Him. You know, and it's here where, where God comes and says, you know, he, he will give us everything. He will be everything for us. But the enemy wants to come and lead us astray. He says, now have other lovers. Go and flirt with the world. Let him be your favorite, not only your only. And that takes us to point number two. The knowledge of Jesus leads to a pure devotion to Jesus. You know, like that of someone waiting on a husband or wife. You know, like that which you spoke about totally just consumes your thought. You know, there's nobody else that you can think of except of your wife on a wedding day. Can't wait to get married. Can't wait to spend the rest of our lives together. Can't wait. There's not even an idea of someone else coming to mind. You know, this thing consumes you. You can't even think of work. No, no, not, not even other lovers. You know, you're just obsessed with this. You're just consumed by this. Consumed by the love of God. I really want to know you more, Lord. You know, and just to also say, you know, this knowledge of Jesus leads to a pure devotion to Christ because nobody knows, like really knows, that really experienced it for themselves, that God can sustain them and willingly go somewhere else. You know, that is insanity. It doesn't work that way. Nobody really knows God can give us healing and we go look for that someone else. It, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, nobody knows that God is the only one that can fully sustain us and go look for it somewhere else. So that is why we need to grow in that knowledge of God. We need to grow in the fullness of who Jesus is so that we can experience it and never go somewhere else. And it's here when we have this sincere and pure devotion for Jesus, when we get to know the fullness of God and His love for us. Because He's the only one we seek. He's the only one we want. You know, it's a pure devotion. Every single minute of every single day is just devoted to know Him better, to know Him more so that he can flow through our lives. And it's this that the enemy really doesn't want, because if we realize the fullness of who God is and his love, we begin to walk in fullness of life, because our identity is rooted in who God is. So if we see Jesus for who he is, our brother, you know, the one that we should become like, then we begin to walk in fullness of life. If we see God as an all-loving, all-powerful God, we begin to walk in fullness of life because He is our Father. That is our identity. It's rooted in that. And that's also where the message of the gospel and the work of the Spirit comes in, but just to focus on the identity of Christ for now. And our identity is found here. And when we experience the fullness of God, it flows through us and it just transforms us completely. You know, no one can stand in the presence of God and see the fullness of who He is and God reveals the fullness of who He is to Him and not be changed. It cannot work that way. If we go to the next slide, it says then Ephesians 4, verse 23 to 24, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And again, Colossians 3, verse 10, and I've put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Because we are called to be more like Jesus. And the moment we see him for who, he, for who he is, we will become like that. And this is where the battle of truth for God is so important. You know, because we have to believe these things to be true about God. We have to believe the truth. That is what faith is rooted in. We don't wake up feeling like faith. You know, who's ever wake up and just thought, yeah, today I'm going to have great faith in God. I just feel like it. You no, know, it's rooted in the knowledge of who God is. And that he has called me to become like that also. I don't wake up feeling like I want to become like God. 
He calls me to it, and I have to believe that to be true, to be transformed in the image of our Creator. Because we are called now to represent this marriage. You know, like I stand here with a, with a wedding ring. Wherever I go, you know, people can see that I'm married. And the way that I reflect that says much about my marriage. You know, and the same with God. You know, when it says He sealed us with the Holy Spirit, that word sealed in the modern Greek is actually now also the translation for engagement ring. You know, we have this seal, we are marked, we call ourselves Christians. We need to represent this marriage. And we need to represent Jesus in the way we live. And we, rep and we need to proclaim Jesus to the world. But we can only proclaim what we know. Like if, if I don't know God is love, I'm not going to proclaim Him to be love. If I do not know the fear of God, I'm not going to proclaim the fear of God. If, if I only know the God of miracles, I'm only going to proclaim the God of miracles. If I only know the God of purity, I'm going to proclaim a God of purity. You know, all of this is true, but it's not the full picture of who Jesus is. It's not a full representation of Christ. And this is also where the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit again plays a role. And just to say tonight, you know, who of you know people that just heavy pursue the power of God and nothing else? And then who of you know people that wants nothing to do with the power of God and they're just pursuing purity, just the fruit of the Spirit? Who knows those people? You know, all of it's true. It's, it's, it's true that they do that, and it's true that they do that, but it's not the fullness of Christ. And we need both. It is the fullness of Christ that we are called to represent. And that takes us to point number three. We must pursue the fullness of Christ to represent the fullness of Christ. The knowledge of Jesus leads us to represent the fullness of Jesus. Because we become like what we worship. You know, in the beginning, yes, me and my wife, we... We wreaked havoc because we thought God is a very, very sin-conscious God. You know, and you have, you have chance, but you have one chance. So if you, after you've come to Christ, you better get your stuff in order. You know, and all of our friends, we just condemned all of them. And then someone actually says, no, he first wants to do a bit of business. And what do I do? I go fetch my Bible and read him the story of the rich young ruler. And says, no, you can't have both money and God. I didn't understand it, but we just condemned him because that's the image of God we had. He's a very sin-conscious God. And then the same is true when we think that God is only love, you know, and he, he, and he doesn't want to correct us, then we'll also do that as well. You know, we see many of our friends and people around us living in sin, things that are going to hurt them. That's going to hurt their marriage. That's going to hurt their lives. But we say, no, 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 we're not going to speak out against them. We'll just love them through that. And that's also not the full representation of Christ. You know, God actually says in Jeremiah 2 verse 5, What fault did your fathers find in me that they forsake me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? What they went after, they became like. You will become like what you worship. Who of us had a hero when we were young? Maybe it was your dad or your mother or maybe a sports star or an actor or whatever. But even, you know, unintentionally we begin to imitate those people. We begin to do what they do. I remember the day when Johnny Wilkinson was the, the world's best fly-off. And every rugby game we played, you know, when the guys just wanted to kick to the poles. And they had this position of Johnny Wilkinson, and it never worked for them, but he does it, so I'm going to do it. And then today as well, you know, with the pop stars, um, me and my wife, we always joke about this, but we many times think that maybe they get together and they ask themselves, okay, let's dress real strange, like it's just going to look funny. And then all of the people that follow us, they're going to dress like that. So you see people walking in the mall with like 
size 14 sneakers, but they're skinny, with skinny jeans and a baggy shirt. And it just looks so ridiculous, but they do that because the popular people do that. You know, we will become like Christ. The way we see Him, we will also become. Um, and this is also such an humbling invitation, you know, that God gives us to pursue the knowledge of Christ, to pursue the fullness of God, because we'll always grow in it. We'll always grow in it. There's always more to learn. It's not like you come to church for one year, you go through the syllabus, and now you know everything that's there to know about God. You know, we always grow in that. Even the great apostle Paul, you know, he writes in Philippians 3, that I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. And then he goes on to say, but not that I've attained to it, not that I've fully comprehended it, not that I've made it my own, but one thing I do know, I strain towards the goal for the upward call of Christ. Let all who are mature think this way. Let all of us who are mature think this way, that we'll never attain to it fully, that we'll always grow. We'll always have more to learn about Christ. We'll always grow more into the fullness of Jesus. And on that note, I really want to just commend Werner as well. You know, our pastor. He never misses intercession. He never misses church. And maybe you think, yeah, he's the pastor. But even the stories we heard about Varys before he came into the full-time ministry, always at church, always at intercession, always pursuing God, not because of a performance-driven mentality, but because he knows that there's always more to know about God. There's always more to grow in. There's always more of the fullness of Christ to be reached. And the same must be true for us, you know, so that I might personally know Him more, so that I might personally experience Him better, but so that I might also proclaim His fullness to the world, that I might represent Him better, pursuing the fullness of God to represent the fullness of God. That is what we are called to. And I just also want to make this statement, you know, what Andre came to speak about at E3 in last week, he, God really has called us to go for the prophetic and for the apostolic. He really, he really wants us to grow in that area, but He wants us to grow into the fullness of Christ as well. You know, like Andre also said, you know, about two years down the line, God told him, you know, you're not only now going to do healing, you must pursue the other things as well. And God gave us this warning beforehand. Let's push for that. Let's gun for that. Let's go for that. Let's trust God to come and do great things in our church. But let's do that in the fullness of who He is. Let's represent God in the fullness of who He is. So we can stand tonight.